Okay. All right, all right. Uh, Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm doing very good this Saturday morning. Okay. Well, so um, welcome to the I'm Simply Artistic podcast. Uh, your name is Debbie Stevens. Yes. We have a special episode today because I, we were, you and I and a group of our friends were hanging out mm-hmm. and um, just began having kind of this in-depth discussion about suicide and mental health and Christianity and the church and a, a couple other things came up in that conversation that maybe we can di- delve into. But I remember thinking, okay, I think I need to get you on the show because you have an amazing amount of mental health expertise in particular, not necessarily in this realm, but you understand, you, you can speak to somewhat of what is going on in someone's brain and heart. And, you, and you're also a Christian. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, wanting to intersect like what's going on in the world around us yeah. um, with our faith, um, our understanding of you know, what men- what it means to be healthy mentally and in our heart and in our yeah. emotions and all of that. And hopefully just offer something for the, the I Am Simply Artistic listening audience, you know. So thank you for being here. It's great to be here. We're going to take kind of a, a break in this episode from um, what the audience may normally hear regarding mm-hmm. artists or whatever or being artistic, but... The goal of my podcast is to help others live healthier lives. Yeah. And that's manifested in a lot of different ways, whether artistically, um, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you know, so um, you are going to speak in the vein of the goal of the podcast. And so I I know that those listening can can probably get something out of, you know, what we're going to share today. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Welcome to the I'm Simply Artistic Podcast by Salita Williams. I'm Salita Williams, and I'm glad that you could join me. The worst thing, bear your soul, is the last thing. Speak some truth. Have some fun. I don't know anybody does this simply without artistic. One. Lord, I know that life is a dance and you're keeping me on the floor. But show me your way out. Give me a chance. I just can't take it no more. Two. I woke up this morning. Do the next right thing. Went and took a shower. Do the next right thing. Put on my clothes. Do the next right thing. Had devotion for half an hour. Do the next right thing. Got in my car to go to work. If I killed myself, who would it hurt? Just run my car right off the road, just slam it right into a pole. But instead, I just keep straight. Got this voice tell me to wait. Got more to live for, so please just think and do the next right thing. Three. Thank you for every broken heart. For every relationship that I would start and start and start but never finish because it would never quench this, never satisfy the void on the inside. I wished I would die. I wished I would die. I wished I would die. I wanted you to kill me because I kept 
failing you. I wanted you to chill me. Just put me on ice because I kept sinning. Sometimes I never thought twice. One, two, three. Three poems that I've written over the course of my career that talk about death. Either I wanted to take my own life or I wanted God to take my life or I felt as though my life wasn't worth living. The topic in today's episode is one with which um, I understand to a degree. You know, it's one with which I have deep compassion and my heart goes out to anybody that has had to face having lost a loved one as a result of them taking their own life. There's, uh, there's really no words um, for the hole that that leaves. So today I'll be speaking with Dr. Debbie Stevens and we're just going to just have an open discussion about this issue of suicide. Um, how does the church normally respond? How can we respond differently? And what can families do um, if they feel like they're, they're, they have someone that's close to them? that wants to take their life. I hope that this episode um, can at least start the conversations in your homes and help to provide some resources so that uh, we're better equipped to deal with the pain and the hurt around us and inside of us and possibly to get some help if we're having to recover from this all too familiar tragedy. Well, before we dive into some, you know, all the nitty gritty, give us a little bio. I mean, let the people, oh my God. and also I need to be refreshed too, because you got some stuff going on lately that I don't even like know what you do, what all you do. Oh. So let's just start with, start with just tell us, tell us about yourself. Who I am? Yes. Um, I always describe myself as a wife and a mom because I feel like those are the two most important roles that I play in my life, although I wear several, several hats. Right, right. Um, but I'm a nurse. When you really boil it down to, you know, who I am, um, <clears throat> I got my bachelor's of nursing at East Carolina University okay. and then went straight into the psych mental health field because I knew from my first rotation in my junior year that that's who I was called to. Um, and so I went into um, graduate program at Emory University and got my master's and became a psych mental health advanced practice nurse. So okay. basically means that I'm um, practicing at a higher level and more specialized um, way where I could assess and diagnose and treat um, mental health disorders. Okay. And then practiced for about 10 years and then went back to school and got my doctorate degree. And so... <laughs> from. From Emory. From Emory. Yeah, Emory yes. University. And so I have my PhD in nursing. Okay. And and so now I teach. Um, most recently I was at 
Florida International University, and now I'm just teaching at Emory University. You physically go to campus? No, I teach online. And sometimes I go to campus, but most times I'm teaching online and I'm working with graduate um, family nurse practitioner or variety of nurse practitioner graduate students um, about how to work with people with mental health disorders and, you know, because they may come into your primary care clinic, they may be, you know, in the hospital. And so how to understand and integrate that knowledge into their specialty of care. And then, so I do that and then I practice um, mercy care. Okay, so you see clients? I see clients. Okay. I see, um, so my specialty is adult mental health. And so I see primarily adults, um, some like late teens, but mostly adults. Um, in um, downtown Atlanta, I'm in a shelter-based clinic. Okay. So that means the clinic is actually adjacent or inside of a shelter, homeless shelter. And so they, a lot of the patients that I see are suffering from severe and persisting mental health disorders and okay. substance use disorders along with homelessness and trauma, a bunch of other stuff. And so um, so I do that during the week and then teach online. And then, and then I'm running around soccer practice, high school football games and that sort of thing. Okay. So let me just for my own understanding yeah. and anybody listening. So my sister's a nurse. She's um, a nurse at Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. Pediatrics. And so when I think of nurse, I think of, you know... Well, Someone giving of, injections? Right. <laughs> you know, in the hospital scheme of things. But, you know, they, they, they do the heavy lifting. They go in yeah. and they're talking to a patient. And, you know, I think about maybe even when I gave birth and the role that the nurses played in the room. Yeah. Like, it was it was amazing. Um but that's not, like, did you do that? Were you in a hospital space actually serving patients? Or was it, did it start primarily with seeing clients and people coming to talk to you and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm very familiar with, like, the role that you're describing is more like a bedside nursing okay. role. And so so the nursing profession is so varied and diverse. Like, you can do anything from sitting at home and doing insurance calls, I mean, in okay. patient education, all the way up to like working right there at the, um, at the doctor's, a uh, surgeon's um, side in the operating room or, or actually, um, you know, administering an, um, anesthesia. So like there's yeah. a variety of things that nurses can do. So I do have like bedside experience. In fact, when I was going back to school, for my PhD, yeah. I actually stepped down from a management position and was working in the medical intensive care unit at the VA. So I was serving the veterans um, in ICU yeah. at the bedside. So I was that nurse, like you know, um, that you would see caring for the you know uh, critically ill patient. So um, so I did that. I'm very familiar with that role, but but the advanced practice role is not so much as like. Um, bedside or right there um, in the hospital setting you can be a nurse practitioner in a a, what we call acute or hospital setting but primarily you're in a provider role so you're the one um, so when you think of provider you think mostly of a a doctor or physician okay so so if I'm a provider in psychiatry you would liken my role to a psychiatrist okay yeah okay so right now I'm in an outpatient clinic so these are patients that either have appointments or are just walking in off the street and and seeking um, mental health services. And so I do a full psychiatric evaluation yeah. and then maybe start them on medication, have them come back and follow up and then manage their their illness. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I hope that kind of sets the stage for um, 
there are kids here, so let's just acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting in your home, your beautiful home, um, conducting you. this interview, and we have to acknowledge that you are the parent yes. of three wonderful children. <laughs> so if people hear sounds, then, you know, that's what it is. Um, but, you know, I, I think we were sitting around and we were talking and our hearts were kind of touched, you know, um, because we had heard the news of Kate Spade and, oh, yeah, right. um, you know, her taking her life and them even revealing how she did it. And then very shortly after, um, Anthony Bourdain also took his life and I learned later that he did it, he used the same method. Mm -hmm. It was almost as, as if, it was almost as if he was like, oh. Like a copycat? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's, like he saw something, like he found a way. Yeah. And it was kind of triggered by um, Kate's suicide. And even, a, a, you know, apart from that, like, suicide, it seems, has been a, a major issue in our country and in our communities. Um, the language around it, you know, maybe we can... You and I have an open discussion about some of the language that follows suicide or leads up to it or when you're dealing with somebody that's saying that they are suicidal yeah. and how we communicate with them and all of that, like um, just, you know, hopefully um, trying to put some of this on the forefront in the Christian community and the black community and communities that maybe, you know, this isn't being readily talked about as much as it really needs to be. It should be. It should be. Uh, well, I, I'm excited about having this conversation with you because I think it is necessary yeah. and um, and it's we're not talking about it enough even though it has made, made the headlines more recently because of these two um, you know prominent figures or famous celebrities um, committing suicide um, it is something that is just um, as a population as a community we're just not really well versed, we don't have the language, we don't have the skills, and so because of that, people are dying. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, it's been described as a public health crisis. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, suicide rates are on the rise and have been since, you know, going back over the last 20 years. And so, um, and there's a lot for us to, as scientists and researchers and mental health experts, to continue to study and understand why and what's going on. But in the meantime, I think it's, um, is so important for um, us to have these conversations, particularly people of faith and people of color. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was um, a technician for a while in a store that will remain nameless at the moment, but I remember, you know, I had some definitely some real heartbreaking days um, as a technician where a parent or a sibling would come in with the phone of um, a, a son or a daughter or somebody that had taken their life. Wow. And the phone was locked. Oh my goodness. And they're looking at me and they're like, you gotta help me get in here. I need to know what happened. They want answers. I wanna know what, yeah. what, what went on, yeah. you know? Um, and even um, from the church that we used to attend, you and I used to attend our church together. Mm -hmm. um, I remember getting, I would get messages in my inbox mm -hmm. from you know, um, someone who also attended there and their sibling committed suicide and they were wondering, how can I get into this phone? Like, I just mm. want to know. And it, they're looking for answers. And it's like, yeah. what What are the answers? What What could you say about why somebody, how, how does someone get to that 
point just you know from your limited our limited vantage point what could you say about like what could push somebody there well i think that um a lot of times when someone close to you you know commits suicide it does leave you feeling um with holding the bag with a lot of questions like could i have done something differently could i have is it my fault you know they a lot of times people think back to the last thing that they said or the last moment that they shared and they feel like there's some way that they could have prevented it and a lot of times um they maybe they could have but a lot of times they may not have been able to and suicide is a very um you know complex kind of phenomenon is very um because there's multiple causes, there's multiple things that kind of factor into someone's decision. And a lot of times the decisions are impulsive. You know, they can been thinking about it for a while, but then, you know, there's no like one predictor that they're going to do it on that particular day. Mm -hmm. Um, So the best thing that we can do to try to help people is maybe try to identify when that person is most at risk and and educating ourselves about the warning signs because there are well studied and you know um evidence based like we can look back at studies and look back at you know suicide um deaths and look at um discrete signs so there's definitely some red flags and things that we can look for yeah um like for example a lot of times when people get to that point where they're considering suicide they are um feeling hopeless they are in a lot of pain um, and a lot of times they describe a lot of times our patients describe the pain as being unbearable like they literally see no way out yeah. like they're just literally trying to escape the pain and the um the awful emotions and then what happens is a lot of times they are depressed or they may be anxious and feeling a lot of stress feeling overwhelmed feeling like there's no way out they feel trapped and so then they start, their cognition starts to be affected by the overwhelming negative emotions. So yeah. they, it's almost like their brain starts playing tricks on them. So they start feeling like it would be better if I was dead or I would be better off yeah. or my family would be better off. Like I'm so, sometimes they may struggle with self-esteem or worthlessness. So they may feel like um, my family would be better off without me. Yeah. Like they literally start planning in their mind, um, you know that and convincing themselves that they would be better off if they were not alive yeah and so those are some of the tricks of the mind those are some of the cognition what we call distortions and and feelings that are kind of um kind of like paved the way yeah how do you what what do you do when someone comes into your office and they express that they're having suicidal tendencies or ideations. Yeah. What is your response as a professional? Well, it's um, as a uh, mental health professional, it is my uh, responsibility to, number one, assess for suicidality. So the first thing I do, because a lot of times people don't walk in and, and say that. You have to ask them. Yeah. And so my responsibility is to ask every patient every time. So, you know, there may be times where I'm like, oh, this person's not suicidal, but I always have to ask yeah. because sometimes just by asking you're going to open up the door and give people opportunity to disclose how they really feel and so when they say you know i have been feeling down or i have been feeling a lot of times they may just i ask are you having like thoughts of death or do you sometimes people fantasize about it or are you waking up like it would be nice to if i didn't wake up yeah 
it starts kind of vague like that. And so if they say, yeah, I am kind of having those kind of thoughts, then I may say, um, you know, this sometimes when people are depressed or sometimes when people um, are feeling a lot of pain or they feel trapped or they feel like they don't have any other solution, they may have thoughts of hurting themselves or killing themselves. Have you been having those kind of thoughts? Okay. And then if they say, yes, I have, then it's okay. Do you have a plan? You know, if you were to do it, how would you do it? Yeah. Do you have access right. to firearms? And so now you're getting at to the specificity of, uh, you know, their means. And then if they're saying yes, 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 then at that point it's time for emergency interventions where they can't be left alone. Because mm -hmm. those feelings do pass. Right. They pass. Right. Yeah. Well, how, do you have, do you feel like a parent in some way or any way, like if, if they feel like they have a child that um, has been experiencing waves of depression or has their mood has changed in some way, like how does a parent breach that topic with their child? You know, how, what atmosphere, could a parent create an atmosphere where they could ask that question. Yeah, I think that's a great, great question. The, the last one that you asked, like create that type of atmosphere because there has to be um, trust mm -hmm. and there has to be connection there first because sometimes that starts deteriorating and then it makes it even more difficult for the parents to talk to the kid or the kid to talk to the parent. Um, so I would advise parents to that are concerned about their kids to really spend time investing in their relationship and doing as much as they can to to listen first because I I have two teenage daughters and I find sometimes I don't always say the right thing and they're like mom like I just want you to listen to me like you're always coming with solutions because as parents a lot of times we can operate like from a fear base position where we're just trying to pr protect our kids and prevent them from all hurt harm and danger like we pray yeah. but a lot of times we they don't want answers they don't want solutions they just want a, our hearts they just want our attention they just want our focus so um i would start by listening but we all especially you know our mom all the moms out there we have our gut feeling like something's off something's yeah. not right. right and when you're feeling that i think the most important thing to do is to ask them, hey, is everything okay? What's, you know, what's, what's been going on? Um, like a lot of times I ask my, my kids on a routine basis, hey, how'd you sleep last night? You know, you're eating good, your appetite's okay. You know, you're feeling stressed. How's that so-and-so class? I know you've been worried about that class. How's that class going? Um, is there anything I can do to help you mm -hmm. um, or assist you or, you know, make sure that you're doing okay? Make sure you're relaxing and forcing coping mechanisms because a lot of times with teens um they they can be impulsive and act out because they're just feeling you know in their minds it, you know this is there's no other way but to escape like my daughter when she was in oh gosh i think she was in eighth grade and one of her friends um they were at a sleepover and she was at a in the shower and some girls took a picture of her. My daughter wasn't at the sleepover, <clears throat> but she, she's friends with her. And they took a picture of her while she was showering and they posted it on Snapchat. Oh man. Yeah. And oh um, my God. Yeah. And like within you know a week or whatever, oh. she, she had committed suicide. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh yes. So oh, I mean a lot of times they, you know, and I've 
I've had my daughter go to sleepovers and things don't go well. Yeah. And you can sense it immediately. Hey, yeah. what happened last night? Well, you want to talk about it? What's going on? And, and you know, and it can be very scary because our kids are living in a world that's very different from the world we grew up in. And so we, as parents, we have the responsibility to know what our kids are facing. We may not know the specific details, but know um, the culture, know the kind of stress that they're facing. Like there's a, a reality TV show about um, these adults that go undercover into high school. <laughs> have you seen that one? No. And so they're they're pretending to be high, new high school transfers, but they're really adults in this a documentary and okay. they're trying to get like an inside view on what's going on in um, high schools in, in America. And they, there's a, a Latina girl who um, goes in, she's maybe like 21, 22. And she goes in, she's like, you know, senior or whatever. And um, they were like, you know, she's the new girl in school. So everyone, they were hitting her up, trying to get her information. They created a group text and she got added to the group text, but they didn't know she, that she was in there. And they were talking about how she was rejecting them and not giving them attention. And one one of the students said, yeah, well, you just wait out. I'll, I'll, when I get the opportunity, I'm gonna rape her or something like that. And so I was talking, and this all happened within the first week of school. And so I was talking <laughs> to my daughter about it. And she was like, mom, that's what school is like. That's what the kids that's are like. Crazy. I mean, they're, yeah. you know what I mean? And so, I, I mean, we were crazy back then, but I don't remember it being, you know, things being, of course it, things didn't become viral the way they do. and so public the way they do and then that just compounds the current the average yeah. everyday stress that kids are attending to so i think if parents um and i know we're so busy and it's so hard but if we can watch shows like that or you know um ask our kids the hard questions and spend time just trying to trying to do our best to study our kids too and know our kids so we can tell when something is off i think we would it would benefit us and we could potentially be helping them and saving their lives yeah what you're talking about it makes me think of this thing i heard andy stanley say years and years ago before i was even a parent but he talked about how at night sometimes he'll just go in his kids room and like put his hand over their heart and yeah. then say how's your heart yeah. today like yeah. did anybody hurt your heart today mm -hmm. are you angry in your heart towards anyone today and it's yeah. just a different way of kind of entering into those questions of how was your day and what happened today and you know because yeah. those could be really head-on and you could just get like fine fine good. good yeah <laughs> fine then, yeah yeah but so, yeah because sometimes the kids was like how was your day fine <laughs> right really well okay no it actually wasn't it was not fine yeah 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 I, th I think those are good tips and those also, I feel like, can translate into your friends or yeah. coworkers or uh, just the people that we are in community with, right? Yeah. What about this language in Christendom in particular regarding suicide and um, how selfish it is? Oh, and yeah. it's just an inc just incredibly selfish, you know, to have done that. Um, and even beyond that. The consequences of suicide in Christian. I'm like, you're gonna lose your salvation. You're gonna be separated from God. And <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, well, I think that um, a lot of times people are just misinformed, like, and they don't have the knowledge to even, you know, speak on it. So yeah. when people are saying things like, um, when people commit suicide, that they're just being selfish. It's like 
well, that's cruel because you don't have the full understanding of what depression does to the brain. Yeah. And, um, and so if you think about it this way, if someone was, you know, physically ill or terminally ill and they, you know, wanted to die, you would have empathy for that person. You know what I mean? If they were, you know, racked with bone cancer, you would be like, and right. they say, I just want to escape this pain. You wouldn't be like, oh, you're being so selfish. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, oh, I can't imagine what that's like for you. Yeah. You know, and, you know, whatever we could do to relieve that pain, maybe you would feel differently. And it's the same is true for mental health. Like when people are depressed, and I mean, this, this goes to mental health broadly, not just even depression and suicide, but just you know, with substance abuse and yeah. um, use disorders and psychosis and schizophrenia, like especially Christendom, you know, we feel like we have the answer, which is, you know, all you have to do is fill in the blank and then that will solve that. And it's so it's really um, not just um, wrong and, and, you know, unfair, but as faith leaders and um people that are believers it's really irresponsible because we should be the ones to provide hope and be able to um walk with people that are that are suffering and yeah. um but it just dates back to you know kind of um when you look at mental health um people look at behaviors so a lot of times they approach it with that kind of model of thinking or philosophy like you can change that you can be different because you know these are your behaviors or your actions whereas we we will look at someone with you know severe brittle diabetic we wouldn't say well you can you know look at your pancreas like you can change the way your insulin is you know you know you know interacting with your glucose we wouldn't do that you know so you know really when you think about mental health your mind comes from where the way your mind works is your brain and your brain is an organ yes. just like your heart a your physical lo- part of it your is body a physical part of your body <laughs> yes. and just like there could be dysfunction and disorder in your heart pancreas lungs you know other parts of our body there can be dysfunction in your brain and unfortunately when the dysfunction and there's like billions of neurotransmitters and neurons up there and when you know you can get some interaction um that is not functioning properly then it's going to produce a behavior response. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately if people could see it more from that and a lot and the the science over the last, you know, 50 some years have, you know, shifted our thinking so we can start um, understanding um, mental health and behavioral health disorders more from like a neurological, neuroanatomical kind of view. Yeah. And, you know, we have more empathy for people and then we can provide people the correct information. So, yeah. So my thinking is people that commit suicide or are suffering from any form of mental health disorder is more, you know, biologically and, and it can be affected by environment experiences, too. But um, we should have empathy for those people and treat them with respect and try to get them the support that they need. I um, I want to give a shout out right now to another podcast called um Fireflies Unite podcast with Kia, K-E-A, Fireflies Unite. And um, she basically, um, she hosts a podcast that 
focuses on uh, mental health in the black community because okay. she was she in, when she shares her story, she just talks about how one day like she was great, like life was great yeah. and work was great, and yeah. then I, it seemed almost seemingly out of nowhere, she didn't want to get out of the bed, yeah. she didn't want to go to work, she didn't want to shower, she didn't, she was having anxiety attacks, she yeah. didn't know what was going on, yeah. and. Um, through, you know, getting to the right doctor and getting right help, she finally realized, wow, you know, she was suffering from depression, mm-hmm. strictly on a chemical level. Yeah. Wasn't triggered by, she didn't have a heartbreak or, yeah. a, you know, a breakup or, you know, some things, because I could talk about that, how some external influences Definitely. can impact what's happening internally. And right. I would love to get your take on nature versus, versus nurture here in a little bit, but... Um, she was just like, no, I just, stuff just went crazy in my brain. And next thing you know, it wasn't the me that I was, you yeah. know, and she needed medicine. When she finally got medicine to regulate it, like it was like life became normal again. It was right. awesome. Um, and I say all that to say, because in one of her episodes, she talks about how she's a Christian, how doing devotionals became triggering for her emotionally because so many of the devotions that she read when you're feeling down or you're feeling anxious um, talked about prayer and fasting and focus and speaking life and while those things are valid I'm not discounting those things at all um, she was just saying there was it was triggering for her because that wasn't going to change her situation you know um and even going to church, like she had to learn to filter yeah. the messages she was getting with, um, I get what you're saying, but all of what you're saying doesn't fully apply. I, like I, I legitimately have an issue with the physical part of my body that requires some real medical treatment as yeah. opposed to just, you know, prayer and fasting. And Yeah, I think when a lot of times... Um, Preachers, pastors, and people of faith that are leading congregations when they do not educate themselves on these particular issues and don't do the work of really understanding how nuanced it is and how complex and complicated it is. And then they just say, you know, just pray on it or, you know, give it all to God or have faith or, you know, I think that they're really... um, they could really do a disservice and it could be irresponsible because, like, I always appreciate when when um faith leaders and pastors can use more like a scaffold kind of Mm. approach and address it really um sensitively because um there's no way you could just say hey you know just believe in god and then and then that'll solve it because you wouldn't do that for people suffering from physical health conditions so um we just all need to continue to um educate ourselves and continue to have these conversations so that we continue to grow as a community and our understanding can grow and we can um manage you know mental health problems better um i agree and i I, i'll add um just a personal opinion um you know, I have a degree in uh, professional counseling and you have mm-hmm. professional degrees uh, for mental health. Mm-hmm. And I would just say anybody in a church that you're attending, if you are feeling like you need to talk to somebody and you need some help and you need some guidance or counseling, um, I'm not discounting at all that you go to your pastor or have pastoral care or anything, but um, I would just encourage anybody listening to really find a mental health professional yeah. or see if your pastor has those credentials. Right. Did they get the psychology degree, right, 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 right. the master's? Um, 
because while pastoral care is is going to be beneficial um, in a lot of ways, you know, you you probably sometimes really do need that specialized uh, professional training, the certification, the recertifications, you know, <laughs> the continual education, all of that. So. Uh, just want to put that caveat out there for anybody listening and you're feeling like you do need to holler at somebody um, and you're, you're in your Christian world or you're in your church, um, just really make sure that you're talking to somebody that has the, the credentials necessary to really help you walk, walk you through um, yeah. your problem. Yeah, I like. I definitely don't want to make it seem like I'm like the church has no role. Oh, no, no. Right, right. Okay, not. we're not saying that because we know. I mean, there's, uh, you know so much out there in the literature to support how when people have faith and they are in church families and communities and they have that um, glue, that connectedness, that really is a protective factor against um, suicide. And so there is a role for um, being being in communities of faith. It's just, I totally agree with you. And I love it because I was listening real carefully when you were saying that. I love the, the distinction you made between pastoral care and support and counseling and a lot of churches are moving away from even taking that that terminology counseling out of their um, their their, nomenclature out of their nomenclature because um a lot of them are not professionally trained in fact i'm going to do a training with our church um soon about how to even know when to refer out and when you're beyond your 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 limited scope of you know of support because it should we'll pray for you yeah you know and these are resources and these are some scriptures but beyond that in terms of like what you should do should not do you know this is you know depression this is not depression the you know those those are definitely beyond you know their their um, realm i'll just share you know a little story um a little part of my testimony which i've shared a little bit on this podcast before okay is just, you know, there was a season of my life where I dealt with some serious depression. And mm-hmm. depression wasn't like, it wasn't like my thing. You know, yeah. like I'm not, um, there's just, <laughs> there's a lot that I just, you know, just kind of roll off. You yeah. know, um, not much of a, I wasn't much of a crier growing up, like none of that. And so when, when my emotions and all of that started changing, like impressing me down, I was yeah. like, okay, this, I've entered into a realm that I have never entered into before. Yeah. This is, this is on another level. Um, my depression, which triggered by the loss of a close friendship. Um, and I, I don't want to get into a, too much of a rabbit trail, but for anybody listening, you know, when you lose a friend or you lose a relationship, um, there is a real mourning process that has to happen for not just the loss of that person, but all the things connected to all the experiences and the places and all of that. There's a mourning, like there's steps of, of grief <laughs> that you have to move through legitimately for all of that. Um, so I don't want anybody to discount like that. If you have to go through that process from a loss do not shortcom or discount that process move through all the steps of grieving and grief and loss as if it was a death um that is legitimate but i remember that community was especially important like if i lost someone that was my companion was my you know relationship was my confidant all of that is gone um and i think there's an isolation piece that 
plays a, a part in a lot of people that finally get to that ultimate place of wanting to take their lives. That having new community and creating new community was so very vital. So yeah. definitely merging that that community or just being in the body of Christ and being there and being able to worship in my own space and being surrounded by others while partnering that with professional mental health services that I was getting somewhere else mm-hmm. and mirroring the two of those together, you know, and medicine <laughs> ultimately um, allowed me on the path to healing. Yeah. But it makes me want to hear your opinion. I, I wrote a paper when I was getting my degree about nature versus nurture. And there's like this long standing argument, like, what is it? Like if there's a history of depression in your family, are you more likely to get depression? Or um, are we are we triggered into that by something that happens externally? Mm-hmm. If a lot of people in my family were addicts, am I gonna be an addict? Am mm-hmm. I likely to become one? Like, what is your take on that whole? Uh, that is both. That is both. You know, like yes. there's definitely a role that nature plays and because we're we're talking about the development of your brain and, you know, genes and DNA. So of course if there, you know, is depression, mental health illness in your family, then you will it doesn't mean one hundred percent, you know, those genes get turned on, but you may right. be genetically more vulnerable. And then if you are you know, if you're born, let's just say you're born into a family that, you know, those genetic traits are there and they exist historically. And so then you are placed in an environment that is extremely stressful and then there's trauma, you know, and then then yeah. there's um, attempts yeah. to cope with the trauma through addiction or substance use. Then a lot of times those genes get turned on. They get turned way on. Activated. You know, that. yeah, way activated. And, and, and it doesn't mean that, you know, those genes can't be turned off. So there's this whole field called epigenetics. So there's genetics where you are born with a certain set of genes. And then there's epigenetics where, you know, those genes can be modified or changed oh. through your environment. And so um, I think that. Um, just, but, you know, there's also hope in that because if you, um, can, certain genes can be activated, then, you know, then there's also ways that those, um, effects can also be muted yeah. through, through the environment, through your coping mechanisms, yeah. through those communities of support, yeah. you know, so those, what we call protective factors, you know, that mm-hmm. will give you greater likelihood of, you know, having mental health or mental health recovery. So I've talked about... Do you say genogram or genogram? I didn't genogram. Genogram. What do you say? Genogram? I think somebody, I think I always said genogram and then I came across something that was like, it's actually genogram and I was like so weird. But I've talked about genograms Mm -hmm. on this podcast before and um, just to speak to your point, like I think, and tell me if you feel the same way, that um, people should take the time to create one of those. And what it is, is like a... um, a family tree on steroids yeah. where you don't, you don't just see, Oh, here's my mom and my grandma, and my aunt and my sister. You don't just see that, but you also see, um, your relationship to those people. Yeah. Like the lines that you draw, um, in picture form show whether that was a tumultuous relationship, an abusive mm-hmm. relationship, whether there was addiction there, miscarriage, whether there was, um, depression there, like in seeing a picture of, kind of the mental makeup of your family can give you some idea of what you have to, um, 
I don't want to. I don't be know about, aware of. Yeah, be, be aware of. Yeah. yeah, that 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 disposition could possibly be on the inside of you, and that way, having the wherewithal to manage your environment, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that it doesn't trigger maybe some of these these ailments that have yeah. been in your past. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. What um, messages do we need to stop communicating regarding mental health? That um, that it's weird. That because sometimes people think mental health people are weird. You know that mental health is something that um, you know people are crazy. It's like think about all the messages. Where where do we get our messages from? The the media through mm. you know internet through TV shows movies and a lot of times when you think mental health you think of people that are insane, people that. Um, mm-hmm you know, or irresponsible, again, reducing everything from these disorders and how complex they are down to the individual behavior. A lot of times, you know, there's families involved, there's communities, our nation, like we all have a role in promoting mental health recovery. I think that we should um, stop, you know, stigmatizing it in short, you know, making it something that people don't want to talk about. For example, I was in church couple weeks ago and um, <clears throat> they're doing a new series about like this is America okay so they're talking uh-huh. about like all the <laughs> I know based on is it, the, the song yeah, okay yeah, yeah, I was about to say yeah. the title is yeah, okay yeah. comes from the song uh-huh. <laughs> and so but they're talking about all the you know taboo topics like politics and race nah. and mental health and so he asked a question and I, I didn't know he was going to go through this list of questions he was like he was trying to show uh, the first it was like a youth service right so he was kicking off actually he was kicking off the youth service and he was talking about the differences between adults and kids so he had like you know stand up if you've ever lied to your parents you know so he had all the adults like kids weren't participating stand up if you've ever lied to it so he was asking different questions and then he was getting to the end he was like stand up if you've ever thought about suicide Mm -hmm. okay and so I stood up. I mean, I mean, it's a thought that had run through my mind. I've right. never seriously contemplated it, but it yeah. has been something that I thought about when I was, and I wasn't even seriously depressed, but it was just a time of my life when I was in college right before, you know, um, I gave my life to the Lord, began following Christ. Um, so I was like, yeah, I, I, maybe I'd be better off dead. So it did run through my mind. And so I stood up and my kids looked at me like, mom, suicide like it was just like so foreign and weird and and it could have been they could have had that reaction for several reasons but I remember thinking maybe I should have stood up (laughs) oh my god and I'm looking around how many other people stood up but it's instantly that that stigma you know that's attached to um you know mental health and mental illness that that we can't really escape from so the only thing we can continue to do is continue to have these conversations and promote um, mental health recovery so that people yeah. can talk about it and or and parents are unafraid to ask about it and kids yeah. can you know ask for help as well so 13 reasons why this yeah. series on netflix it's getting a lot of buzz positive and negative mostly positive there's a lot of people that are for the show yeah um and for anybody listening that hasn't watched it i'll just say it's just a basically the show that um follows one girl who takes her life and 
each season kind of highlights 13 reasons why she took her life. Um, there's finally a warning at the start of the shows now, and I'll reiterate that warning for anybody listening, that if you are currently dealing with um, suicide ideation, depression, um, that you may want to avoid watching that series um, and get some help. And mm -hmm. we'll talk towards the end of this episode on resources for you. Um, but if you're a parent and you want to get an idea on... I don't know, maybe what your kids are going through. Mm -hmm, like you, mm -hmm. that story you shared earlier, which is unbelievable, but that's a real life. I mean, I, it's unbelievable because I haven't personally experienced it, but it's so close. Like you literally are aware of a child that has taken their life because of cyberbullying or yeah. bullying, you know? Um, so that's why people are, are for it, but it's very, it's, there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot going on in that series. So I just wanted to get your take on how you, how, beneficial you feel it is or detrimental or whatever yeah there there has been a lot of discussion i remember when the season one first came out and my kids um i saw a 15 year old and nearly 18 year old and so they were just yeah. like transfixed on it okay. and binge watching it like, your what? kids watched it so we, yeah, yeah my kids okay. watched it okay. i is, so i had this thing about teeny bobbers like i didn't really don't get into like i didn't do what's the show with the werewolves oh twilight yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't get into <laughs> I didn't Those watch. Movies. I have not watched one but, movie. Yeah. But I want. I did become familiar with this particular series because my kids were watching it, and I was like, "What are they watching? What's going on here?" So I am familiar with it, and I'm familiar with the controversy too. I think the reason why it was so popular is because probably just um, you know it's like a mystery. You know what I mean? Yeah, the way yeah, it unfolds yeah. and it's right. so dramatic, and there's a lot of. Um, um, I don't know, just crazy themes, yeah. you know, with um, sexual assault. And, yes, and yeah. so it's, you know, it's explicit. Yes, it is. So I think that all those things make it really attractive. And when you think about suicide and death, like all those subjects are really taboo. So you throw them all into a series, put some great looking kids in there yeah. and put a TV MA rating and it's just going to draw the kids out. Yeah. I think that one of the good things about it, it did promote a lot of conversation okay, yeah. and a lot of awareness. In fact, there was a study done where they went and actually surveyed the teens that watched it and teens overwhelmingly report that they feel like it helped them you know, okay. be able to learn more about depression, be able to learn more about the impact of cyberbullying, um, which is something we didn't face, right? Right. right. Um, um, the worst we got was someone saying something about us in a yearbook. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we just didn't have like that rapid kind of man visceral, viral, viral, like, like instant <laughs> yeah. response. Like there's this thing called now where they, um, if people get new pictures of you, everyone turns on the airdrop instantly. You just slide your finger across and everyone in the class has, Whoa. you know what I mean? Like yeah. like that rapid kind of disbursement of your worst, you yeah. know, moments that you wouldn't want anyone to see. And I think that these kids were like, wow, I could really be responsible for, for someone take wanting to take their own lives. Yeah. And so it promoted a lot of empathy. I mean, I get some of the controversy in terms of the, um, the explicit nature, like right. especially how the scene of... You know, the sexual assault and the it's, and, and the how she actually killed herself, yeah, like right. that, how graphic it was. Yeah. But then I read that one of the I don't know if you knew this, but one of the show writers was a survival 
survivor of a suicide attempt. Oh, wow. And that that was intentional. The graphic. Like, he wanted people to see, like, it's it's not so glamorous. And look at the pain of the parents. Look at the pain. You know, so there's been, you know, advocates of, you know, on both sides that says that, you know, it's good or it's bad. But I think personally, I think that if it's, it's promoting conversation and if teens are feeling like it's, getting them to get more insight into their behaviors and they're talking more about depression and suicide then, then that may outweigh the negative that, yeah. that's you know my yeah. personal opinion and i think i think i i like it i've watched both seasons did I've you been, cry i have i have madison cried. said mom it was so good i was crying <laughs> and she's not a crier right. so so <laughs> I have shed a couple tears, I think, watching it. I'm not anything sobbing. But I'm also like a grown woman with a child, yeah. you know, watching this. I'm not a teenager in high school anymore. So I can see how it would definitely land differently mm-hmm. when you recognize that you're in that world experiencing yeah. it or seeing it happen. So I, okay, all right. I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence about it. It's how awesome it is. I can see the benefits. Did you feel like it glamorized suicide? Like, do you feel like it made it more, um, people more aware of it, that being an option for their problems? No. Okay. No. Which and I would guess probably that's be the main right. concern of right. a series like that, because there is a such thing called suicide contagion. You know, yeah. like the, it, like you were talking earlier about Anthony Bodine. Yeah. So, like, a lot of times if you are extremely vulnerable... And you hear about other people committing suicide or that it's talked about a lot or someone close to you, it can have like that kind of effect yeah. on you. And so that I think that was one of the main concerns about the series. Yeah. No, I don't yeah, I don't think it does. So I think that's probably the biggest positive of it, that it, mm-hmm. it is addressing such a harsh topic yeah. without glamorizing it. Okay. And that's that's awesome. So Okay, I just wanted to get your your mm-hmm. little take on. Um, so, what resources are you aware of? You know, for people, anybody listening, if you are are dealing in some way, even just mm-hmm. you just need not even saying you're thinking about taking your life, but you just need to talk to somebody. Like, um, where can people go? And or even families, if they feel like they have a child or someone has a friend or something, yeah, um, that they feel like needs help. What What do you? Well, have? I mean. Okay, so I think that there's levels of help. If you're just like interested in learning more yeah. about, hey, and what I'm dealing with is that depression because I've been feeling sad or yeah. I had a breakup and I was crying and and I mean that thought is kind of run through my mind. I don't know if I would do it. If you're just questioning if you're even at risk, you can just go to like I encourage a lot of my patients to go to NAMI www.nami the okay. National Alliance of Mental Illness. So you can just learn more about depression, suicide, risk factors, if you're at risk or not. Um, And there's also uh, www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org. So there's tons of resources there if you're familiar with that. And sprc.org, Suicide Prevention Resource Center. So that one actually, that website, you can go in and enter your state and see um, for local resources. So you have listeners in different states, they can go and look at some local resources. I did click on Georgia and I saw, you know, a couple of numbers and I was like, well, I don't know if people could really know how to navigate and go to those particular um, centers, but I would encourage people, if you 
feel like you just want someone to talk to or you feel like you may be dealing with depression, start with your primary care doctor. Like primary care doctors, like people always think, oh, I'm dealing with depression or anxiety. I need to go to a psychiatrist. Not yeah. necessarily. Like your PCP, it has the training and should be, you know, um, you know, knowledgeable enough to manage, you know, depression, anxiety. And if they feel like you need a higher level, more specialty or subspecialty care, they can refer you to, you know, a psych mental health provider, a psychiatrist or um, counselor. They have those resources there. They can connect you to someone. Um, There's also, you know, the 1-800-273-TALK. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the Logic song. Yes, um, Logic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so you can, you know, the 1-800-273-TALK. That's 24 hours. You don't have to go to your house. You know, leave your house. You don't have to go make an appointment with the doctor. Um, and then this is a neat one, for especially for teens or people that don't want to talk, because a lot of times our folks don't want to talk, but they just want to maybe want to chat. Yeah. You can text GO to 741-741, which is a crisis text line. Nice. Yeah. I work at Mercy Care. If you live here in Atlanta and you don't even have to have insurance, you can visit any of the Mercy Care, um, mercyatlanta.org. We have 11 clinics in the Atlanta metro area. And you can make an appointment and and talk to a therapist. Okay. And and see um, a mental health professional maybe be evaluated if you need you know they could talk to you about medication therapy all counseling that sort of thing who is there a cost for that though I and mean, you don't have to have insurance well, if you, like, how if, do you pay so for if you don't have insurance they, they we have a financial advisor and they'll okay. go through all your resources look at your income and and that sort of thing slide and scale pretty much okay but we serve people with no like they're sleeping under the bridge right they come in and they're getting I feel top notch psychiatric care. So, and then um, there's always emergency resources. So, if you are actively having thoughts, like if you're listening to this podcast and God just had this divine intervention and you are have been thinking about it or playing it today, yeah, I always encourage people nine one one. Like I'm not always available. You know, your doctor or therapist is not always available. Nine one one. Go to any emergency room, any hospital, and you'll be able to be safe. Mm. Until those thoughts and feelings pass, because they do. Yes. This this is not the end. This is not the end. This moment right no, now. No, no. What else would you say if someone's hurting and they're listening right now? What, what words do you have for them? I would say um, there are millions of other people that feel like you do. You're not alone. You may feel alone. You may feel like you are a burden. You may feel like this weight that you are carrying is beyond... Um, believe and you can't go another day i'm here to tell you that that you are not alone and even if there aren't you feel like there aren't family and friends around you that you have a god and a creator that's closer than anyone can ever be to you and if you just cry out to him and ask him to to help you just take another step to give you the courage to call 911 or to call the suicide crisis hotline someone will talk to you and give you the next steps and know that you may be feeling this way now, but those feelings will pass. Mm. And when they do, you'll be on the other side and maybe you'll be able to help someone else. So don't give up. What would you say to someone that may, that knows somebody that's hurting? What role could they play? I would say, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. If you, if your gut is telling you this person is hurting or, um, 
may be depressed or you see them, their behaviors changed or they're drinking more or, or using mm. drugs or just not around, not answering texts, go take the extra step to go find out what's going on with them because um, you could be saving their lives. And, and if they are... As, you know, if they are having thoughts of death or suicide, don't leave them alone. Say, I'll drive you to the hospital. You know, I'll take you to the doctor. I'll take you where to someone that can and be with them. Yeah. So that, you know, they can, until those feelings and thoughts pass. Yes. Yes. Any other thoughts or No, I just really uh, appreciate this, this opportunity to share. Um, you know, I was listening to this, um, to this in-service and um because you know you were mentioning continuing education and recertification yeah. and um <laughs> it was a site mental health actually she's a nurse practitioner she was sharing a story about one of her patients and he was a 16 year old kid and um i think he was, he was on a bridge and he was depressed mm. and you know just feeling overwhelmed a lot of times rela- relationship stress and things yeah. like that grades pressure and he said, um, okay, I'm going to put my foot over if, if, okay, I'm getting ready to jump. And if someone stops me or someone tries to stop, because a lot of times people will test, you know, like if someone stops me, then I'm not going to jump. And so this woman said, hey, young man. And he mm-hmm. turned around and she was like, can you take this picture of us? And he took the picture and he jumped. No. Yes. But he survived. Oh my God! Somehow, and he tells the story that when he jumped into the water, and I don't know which bridge this was, but I want to say it was like a bridge where, like, they post signs like "Please don't jump." You know, this is a crisis number because the, you know, the the fatality rates are yeah. extremely high. The likelihood you, is you will die. And he said that he hit the water and he felt something lift him up. And he survived. And now he's an advocate advocate. for for suicide prevention. And he goes around and speaking and sharing the story. But it's just that a lot of times, and it made me think about Hannah from 13 Reasons Why. Remember when she went to the counselor and she was looking like, is he going to look back? Is he going to ask? And he doesn't come out. So a lot of times people, people just want, you know, you to ask for help yeah ask them can is there anything i can do for you you know so don't be afraid to ask yes <laughs> debbie thank you so much yes, for being on the show fun. yes thank ma'am. you hey and thank everybody that tuned in and, and listened to this episode the content in here is um you know though I, I think there were a lot of moments where we kept it light um it's difficult and at, at this moment i just want to um acknowledge that literally the day that we were recording this episode we recorded it on august 25th um sort of the christian community received word that uh pastor andrew stockland he's the pastor of inland hills church in chino california we learned that he lost his life um on the day we were recording this episode due to a suicide attempt just the day before. And we want the Inland Hills uh, Church family to know that um, we are thinking about you. We are praying for you. And we know that um, 
you all have a lot that you need to work through as you, as you try to pick up the pieces from his untimely departure. But I just want to speak a little bit more about Pastor Andrew um, and his role and his position and you know, ultimately his loss of life. You know, in a previous episode, we talked um, to Jessica and we talked about spiritual abuse and we talked about the pressures pastors are under. We talked about, you know, does your pastor have friends? Do you see your pastor having fun genuinely? Um, you know, does your pastor have a time to refresh? And I really want to reiterate that point right now. Any of you in leadership in churches, you know, to really pray for and look out for and check in on your leadership and uh, do everything that you can within your power, within your sphere of influence, or maybe you're, you have influence with somebody that has influence with them to ensure that they are taking the pauses and the breaths that they need to do this work. If you look at the blog post that accompanies this episode on my website at imsimplyartistic.com, in that blog post episode, I have all the links to all the resources that uh, Dr. Stevens noted in our talk. But I also have a couple extra links where you can get an understanding of what was going on with uh, Pastor Andrew and um, you know some of the things that may have led to him get into this this final place um i have his final sermon that he preached which was which was immediately after a um, sabbatical that he was forced to go on because he had a nervous breakdown i mean there were signs there were things happening that showed that um, his stress levels were way too high um and it's kind of eerie to kind of see the progression Um, But the link to that sermon is on the website. And also, there's a commentary video I've posted, the link to that, that talks about, you know, did he go to heaven? How does God feel about this? And um, the speaker in the video, I felt that he did a very good job of explaining um, what we see when we look in the Bible and we look at loss of life and we look at death and murder and suicide. and, um, And really, what does the Bible say about being separated from God, loss of salvation. Um, If anybody is having doubts or um, struggling with these feelings or understanding, you know, how God responds to this, how we as Christians should respond to this, I think that's a very good video to watch and um, maybe kind of start your own personal study from that resource. Um, Again, I know this is a very difficult topic. Hey, if you are struggling, if you are hurting, please, please reach out to um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Please text, as was indicated in this episode and on our blog. Please talk to your primary care physician. Please, please, please get some help. I say a prayer for you right now that you would have peace in your heart and your mind and your soul, that the peace of God that passes all understanding, that surpasses all understanding, would cover you, that you would be covered by Him and His love and His grace, and that you would get the help that you need. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you have any thoughts, please let me know uh, regarding this episode. Okay? next time. Who are you? Yes, 
you. Who are the people listening to this podcast? I would love to hear from you. Please write me at salida at imsimplyartistic.com. Tell me who you are and also tell me how to make it better. Be sure to visit the website at imsimplyartistic.com for all the links to our accounts online. Look under the about or contact us sections to find ways to find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, SoundCloud, and Twitter. I look forward to hearing from you and connecting with you online. This has been a Stinky Butt production. Who's Stinky Butt?